0: Hi, this is Erica Bogan, thank you for listening to the I Am Spartan Podcast
1: with
2: Scott Knowles. I am Scott the Fane Knowles, and you're listening to another episode of I Am Spartan OCR Podcast. What's up, everybody? Got a cool interview today. Uh, Chris Rogloski has taken the time to talk to us out of her busy race schedule because she races a race like every other day. But before that, I want to encourage you to go to the Lionhearts Fitness Instagram page and check out the fundraiser race they're going to be having at Nashville next weekend. Um, all the proceeds go to Lionheart Fitness, and it's a great fundraiser where, you know, it keeps this obstacle course gym open for kids to go to for free. And if you haven't listened to the interview that me and her did, uh, go back and listen to that too as well. But anyway, uh, Troy from uh, Tesla is going to be there running like the last heat of the day or something like that. And they're also going to have some live music there too as well, which will be pretty cool. I don't understand why Spartan doesn't have more live music. I mean, I guess it's they've already got so much on their plate going to these different venues and getting everything ready on time. So it'd probably be hard to schedule that. But I just think it'll be something different to have a live band at a Spartan race. Sounds like it should be fun. Um, but anyway, here's the interview, Chris Roglosky, Chris Roglosky, what is going on with you today?
0: Just wrapping up a run and getting ready to go to bed
1: pretty
2: soon. That's right. Cause it's um. <laughs> eight o'clock your time, 10 o'clock my time. I'm like staying up late to get this interview because I care about getting great interviews to the people. It's my sacrifice. I'm willing to do it.
0: We appreciate
2: you. Yeah, Matt B. Davis says all the time he will not stay up late to do interviews like that. You know what I mean? So. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was just in town over there this past weekend, and he wouldn't even stay up late to answer a text.
2: So. Right. What's up with that? What's up with that? It's like he doesn't
0: even care.
2: Yeah, but I get it. Some people are morning people, and some people can stay up late. Whereas I find the older I get, the earlier I want to go to bed. But like I'm 43, like well you're t- like 25, right?
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: Right, so you're still. I'm like, an early person. Oh, I figured you're like in the young and like party age, but you're I like don't know. you're an endurance athlete, so you probably want to get up early and you know yeah. get a workout done, stuff like that. So it makes sense. I
0: don't know when it. Uh, I've always been an early person. When I was young, and wild, I would stay up late as well, but I've always been an early person, and now I'm to the point where like. Don't make me stay up late, but I will get up early. Like, people say, like, 2 o'clock is still the middle of the night. Like, no, that's the beginning of the morning. Like, yeah. that's when you get things rolling. Like, I will get up 1, 2, as long as it's past midnight. It's morning time, and I give me that. Don't make me stay up past midnight.
2: Right, yeah, that's me. Like, every blue moon, I might go to a concert and stay up late, but yeah. normally I'm usually in bed before – way before 12. Yeah. So you opened up a box. Uh, you said when you were young and wild, what's the wildest thing you've done when you were young?
0: Oof. What category?
2: What category? Um. Is there a category? <laughs> like, did you get arrested?
0: <laughs> I did not get arrested. Is I there a,
2: a body somewhere?
0: <laughs> but I was like friends with the cops. Um, probably the wildest thing I did that I'm like most proud of, because there's plenty I'm not so proud of. Oh.
2: Um,
0: The wildest thing I did was I did a little bit of bull riding. Oh, sweet. Um, like I guess late teens, right, um, down in South Texas, like rodeo culture is really big, and I oh, yeah. lived right near and worked at this local rodeo that um from like March through November, they have a weekly rodeo, right. so it's just like a, every every weekend is a rodeo um and I wanted to be in the rodeo, but i've like I rode horses, but I've never owned them, right, so I was like, all right, like not a lot of options if you don't own a horse to be in the rodeo except for bull riding. So I, uh, went out to the practice pens. they had practice pens like in the next couple times over and I would get on as many bulls as I could. I'd just borrow gear. I'd get on as many bulls as I could. I'd ride anything. And I was pretty good at it because I'm good at riding horses. Like right. I understand how to stay on an animal. Um, but it all ended when, well, not it all ended. I was getting ready to move out of town. I was going to move out east. But I wanted to ride at the rodeo. And so it's pretty simple. Like, you go there, you just get on the books, and anybody can compete, basically. Right. Um, and the lady in charge of the books would not let me ride because I was a woman. She what? said, nobody's here to see a gal bull ride. And I was like, I guarantee you that's wrong.
1: Like, I, I can outride
0: too. every single one of these men here. I knew a bunch of the bull riders, I knew all the bullfighters. Like, they all, like, vouched for me, and I was like, everybody here would love to see a woman crush it, but never happened.
2: Oh, this never a got to
0: ride my eight seconds
2: because I feel like that's pretty like prominent now, where they have a lot of women bull riders. There's now, only
0: like we? two PBR like professional bull riding, right. or there's only two women that are in PBR. So it's know,
2: maybe I'm thinking about maybe I'm thinking about bronco riding. Maybe that's what I'm thinking about.
0: Possibly, um, as a general rule. It's kind of a men's sport. Um, right. Chicks stick to team roping and barrel racing and all that kind of stuff.
2: So I, I know you don't um, watch a lot of TV. Yeah, but I
0: wanted to bull ride.
2: I know you don't watch a lot of and TV. And I, I put
0: in some good rides just out of the practice fence.
2: Never got to do it at the rodeo. Right. I bet. So so you did. You probably don't watch a lot of TV. But do you know that Dale Brisby? You know that was he's got a he had a TV show that was on Netflix, and I, I want to say he had a girl hired that worked for him that was uh i can't remember if she was a bull rider or a bronc rider she might have been a bronc rider
1: Huh.
2: but it was a pretty good show and it was pretty entertaining and he was he was like a famous bronc rider i guess in his heyday i don't i don't know if he competes anymore but
0: yeah i've like heard that name but i don't know a
2: lot about him yeah it's 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 a pretty it's a pretty interesting show because it's kind of like his his farm you know and he's got a bunch of guys on there and they joke around and they kind of try to make it humorous and it was pretty interesting to watch but yeah so chris i do know a little bit about you you know i've heard several interviews with you so what you you were you kind of raised in arizona moved to texas lived in virginia and now you live in colorado right that's
0: the quick summary Yeah, the
2: quick summary so and It's like you kind of alluded to, you said you, you worked on a ranch. How long did you work on a ranch?
0: Um, as soon as I turned like 17, 18 and was wanting to get a job, um, I started, um, there was a horse barn right down the road that I worked at for, I think a year and a half. Um, and this was, I'd always like wanted to be around horses and like wanted to work outside, but just didn't have really the opportunity to. So I started there, um cleaning a lot of stalls and then I got to like feed the horses and bring them in from the pastures, bring them in and out. Um, and that's when I would kind of, I kind of watched because most of these were horses that were boarded. And right. so I watched which owners like would ride their horses bareback. And so when I was working at like alone, any horse that I knew was like, eh, probably okay. I'd like loop the lead rope around through the halter and I would just hop on it and ride it bareback into the barn. Right. Um, and I hadn't really done a whole lot of riding before that. Um, so I worked there for like a year and a half, um, at this one summer when I was working there, I also worked for a local guy that like trained horses at a really high level. Right. Um, so I did a little bit of riding there and then I ended up, so those two, um, and then I ended up working at another horse barn and it was just a lady that owned several horses and then boarded several horses Right. and she bought like a hundred some acres and had a lake up there and she needed somebody to come feed the horses, So I would go out there and feed them and I would just, there were a couple horses that I was pretty much like free to ride whenever I wanted. And I put in as much riding as I could there. Um, and then, so that was, that was the barn that I lived and worked at for a while. And then through connections from that barn, I got the opportunity to move out East, um, with another like high level show horse barn. Right. Um, yeah. And then once I, I moved back, I've lived near Houston for the past four years and, the only horses they're doing out there was um, endurance riding, which I ended up really enjoying. It's a lot of just riding horses for a long time. Um, and so I've done, that. Was I was riding a couple times a week most of the time down there and did a, I've done a 25-mile endurance ride and a 50, and I'm getting ready to do another 50 in a couple weeks. So that's kind of where the horse, horses ended up with.
2: So would you rather ride a horse 50 miles or run 50 miles?
0: I would much rather ride a horse 50 miles any day. <laughs> People are always like, oh, but like once you get all sore, like not as sore as you get running. <laughs> like, so you could just sit, in a, sit on a couch for 50 miles. Yeah. Yes, please.
2: <laughs> so do you, still, do you still do ranch work or are you doing another line of work now?
0: Um, well, I'm a full-time nanny now, which I oh, cool. had done for several years at the same time as working on ranches as well. Um, so that's what I do now. And I always say, like, I always find horses anywhere I go, but I haven't found horses out in Colorado yet. I'm coming up on six months of living here. I still haven't found horses, but mm. working on it. I
2: figured there'd be some um, horses up there instead.
0: Yeah, there's some. Um, it's just kind of hard to make it work with a full time job, like, right. and with being gone on a, every weekend. So if I had weekends open, it'd be a whole lot easier. But I'm gone traveling most weekends, so it makes it a little more difficult.
2: Right? Is it easier to take care of horses or take care of kids?
0: Ooh, <laughs> ooh, that's actually kind of a good question. I mean, kids like need more help, but like horses are pretty dumb and get hurt doing dumb stuff. Um, I would say kids are definitely way cheaper.
2: Wow. Um, Really?
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Horses are the worst investment you can possibly make. Kids like there's the chance maybe they'll care for you like in your old age. And they're like growing intelligent beings. Horses are, or I don't know. I will never own a horse. So I'll have kids
1: someday.
2: There's a girl that I work with and, uh, or she works Uh, in a department in the hospital and she had, she had some horses and, she had told me one time that you had to feed them in the mornings and you had to feed them at night. And if you didn't, it's like something would happen to them. Like they'd get sick or something like that. Is is, is that right? Is that a yeah. thing?
0: Their gut gets messed up all the time. So right. If they eat too much, if they eat it at the wrong time, if they don't drink water right as they're eating their food, they get colic where they basically like their, their guts get all or their intestines get all messed up and they die. Like that's. I don't know enough about like horse medicine, but I feel like that's one of the more common ways that horses die is from their stomachs (laughs) messing up like big time. Um, it's one of the, it's something like you have to, like when horses are colicking, they're basically like they're, they're, it's all shutting down. You have to like keep them walking and try to like get it to work its way out basically. Um, yeah. So they're just really, and then, You know, the littlest things, they get um, abscesses in their hooves all the time. They'll kick something and get a big gash. Like, they're just not... It's so weird to see an animal that's, like, so powerful and strong and, like, could really mess people up. But they're such animals of prey. Hmm. They're just, like, timid and jumpy and all over the place. Like, it's kind of a weird combination. Because they're, like, really muscular, like, strong, cool animals. Hmm. They're just so... I just, just that got that
2: prey instinct hmm. very strongly. So while you were working on some of these ranches, was there any time that you had to take like another ranch hand or somebody that was working on a ranch to the train station? Did you ever have to do that? Take
0: them
2: to the train station? Yeah. No. Okay. Well, you're probably working on some good ranches then.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is that a common thing at ranches?
2: It's a. It's from a TV show called Yellowstone.
0: Ah, okay. Uh, okay. I have not gotten on the Yellowstone train. I actually like tried watching one episode, and I don't know if it just. I don't know if it all moves slow or just that one, but.
2: It's probably just the first one. Once you get in that show, it's really good.
0: That's what but I hear. It, I mean, the amount of people that are watching it, it has it better be good.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was, like, late on the take. Like, we started watching it, like, last year and watched, like, and binge watched all the seasons, which is the best way to watch anything, if you ask me. That is true. But anyway, did you ever try barrel racing?
0: Um, at one of the barns that I worked at, there was a horse there that was, like, all these horses were, like, multiple, yeah, like, high dollar horses that were there for, uh, like, specific training. Right. But this horse was, like, a companion horse for another horse there. And it, um, she was an older horse and she had done barrel racing in the past. And so when they would go out of town for shows, my job, part of my job was like to exercise all the horses that were left there. And so she was one of the ones that I would ride. And I definitely set up a little barrel pattern in the arena. And it's pretty cool being on a high level barrel horse that like, they know exactly what they're doing. And I was just along for the ride. Um, right. I wanted to take her to the local radio and ride her. But uh, my boss was like, nah, she's too old. She'll just keel over dead. Like, (laughs) You don't want to do that to her. Um, So I've run the barrel pattern and I've been on a good horse, but never actually barrel raced.
2: Man, that shit is amazing to watch.
0: It is insane.
2: It's insane.
0: Um, So all of that, like the training everything that you see in rodeo is like the showy side of Western. Mm -hmm. And this barn that I worked at is like the details of Western. So it's called raining. And I don't know if you're familiar with that, but raining is basically like everything the horses do in rodeo is some, is, is like raining. uh, I guess raining is like the training system basically. So all like their fast stops where the horses like stop for the guy to like, um, do the tie down roping. Right. Um, all of the like the quick movements, the cutting when they're sorting cattle and mm-hmm. stuff. All of that is called reining. Um, and so this barn that I worked for, they actually do reining competitions. Okay. And another like trademark reining thing is the um, spins, where they'll uh, like sit, uh, they'll keep one hoof in the same place and do like these tight spins. Right. And then stop. Um, that and the fast stops, where they'll like run hard down the arena and then stop, and they're basically like, sitting back on their heels. Um, so all of those are like. Finely tuned um training, but and then it carries. Like they use that all in rodeo.
2: Right. So uh, you you definitely but, need to watch Yellowstone because that's what the Dutton family like. He has like a crew that goes to shows and they do all of that in all those competitions. They it's do re- rainy really shows? Cool. Yeah. Ah. They show those fast stops where they yeah, you know the fast, horse fast stops fast. and almost puts its ass on the ground. Like they showed yeah. a lot of that on the show. So and cool. then the cutting the to... for
0: that fast stop, is,
2: mm-hmm.
0: or, yeah, is um, reverse. So basically, like, uh, when you keep your legs on the horse, it's moving forward, and what they do is they pull their legs off and pull the reins back, and that is like the horse is running, as that you know, like running down the arena, and then it's all of a sudden, it's not just stop, it's reverse. So that's why the horse sits, and then a lot of times they like pedal, like, their back, their feet will pedal backwards. So because that's like how they teach that command is. You're going from, like, fast to reverse. Kind of cool.
2: Yeah. Yeah, you, you need to watch that show. You need to give it one more chance because I think you'd like it. I'll
0: I'll consider it. Cause, Maybe cause if I find some extra time somewhere. They show
2: they show a lot of the stuff out like that. Right? Yeah. But anyway, so... Um,
0: those horses are really cool to be on. when they're going in those tight spins. Like, yeah. all you have to do is lay the rein on one uh, side of their neck. And they will turn that direction. And then all you have to do to stop is just tap the the rein on the opposite side of their neck. And that's their immediate stop, like... It's cool to see, like, horses that finely tuned.
2: Yeah, because they would show... They showed a bunch of things where they'd have, like, one cow would be in the arena, and then this... Mm -hmm. And then the guy would be on a horse, and he'd be, like, you know, trying to stop that cow every time it would make a turn, and the horse was, like, turning back and forth, like, really, really quick to try to control it. Yeah.
0: That's really... The cutting horses is where you train the horse to watch their front shoulder, and the horse... Like you train it, but then also the horse, like a good cutting horse, will watch the cow and will turn. They watch the shoulders, and before the cow actually turns, the horse is ready to turn. Like
1: it's that fast.
2: Yeah, they made it. it they made it look really impressive, you know, on the show. Oh, it was it was cool to yeah. watch, you know. But anyway, <clears throat> enough of uh, ranch and talk. <laughs> so
1: ranch talk check.
2: Right, we 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 cross that off the list. So Chris. One of the things that's probably, you know, spotlighted on you the most is just your resiliency and the way you recover. Because you race almost every single weekend. I mean, you won the Savage Race Series. Uh, Aren't you like first in points for the Spartan Elite Series right now?
0: Yeah, until Lindsay and Emma do their last race. Until they, do, they do their last, last race. race.
2: And you're the High Rocks World Champion, and you did that the same weekend that you ran, what, was it Big Bear? Yeah, Big
1: Bear.
2: And didn't you run like a 100 mile race the weekend before that, too?
0: Um,
2: or two no, weeks probably before? Probably the that?
0: weekend after. I think oh. I did
2: a 50K a couple weeks before. Oh, see? That's... Um, but
0: I, I did 400 milers over the summer while doing the Spartan
2: Series. Right. So. And this, and the weekend before last, you were third in the third 3K at OCR World, second in the 15K, and then you were on a second-place team and a first-place team on the Sunday races. I mean... I was, no, was first-place, both teams. First-place first, coed, first-place female. Oh, was
0: it first-place co-ed? Oh, okay. Yeah.
2: So you had a... You, team USA. Yeah, Team USA. You've had some great race weekends over this past year for sure.
0: Yeah. It's been a really good year for me.
2: And so, and you also are the youngest woman to run a Grand Slam, correct?
0: Yeah. Grand Slam of ultra running.
2: So explain to people what a Grand Slam is that don't know.
0: Um, the Grand Slam of ultra running is a series of hundred milers. Um, They basically take five of the, like, original, oldest, most well-known hundreds in the U.S. And, um, out of those five, you, you have to pick four, um, and you do those all in one summer. Um, if you do five plus another one they've named, it's called, like, they have different names, but anyways, the basic Grand Slam is four out of the five of these hundred milers all within one summer, so, um... The state or the, the ones that they have are, um, old dominion out in Virginia, um, Vermont 100, Western States, and then they have Leadville and Wasatch, um, Western States is really hard to get into. And I'm not quite at the level where I can golden ticket my way in or something. So, um, I qualified for Leadville. I was able to get in the lotteries for old dominion and Vermont. And then once you get into those three, Wasatch is the final race. And so they'll like let you in with a couple of other requirements, but yeah. So I, um, I heard about it like two years ago and I was like, that's kind of cool. Um, I don't really care about medals or trophies and I still don't, but like they give you this really cool, like Eagle trophy. If you complete them all, and I was like, that's kind of neat. And I don't really care about it and I still don't care about it, but that was kind of almost the incentive to like, Oh, neat Eagle trophy. Um, but more than that is running hundred miles. I love running hundred miles. Um, anyways, yeah. So old dominion was June. Vermont 100 was July. Leadville was at the end of August. And then three weeks later is the final uh, race. Wasatch is like the second weekend of September. So knocked all four out. um, And in doing so, I was the... I set the new fastest female time for those four races. um, Like to do that version of the Grand Slam, basically. And then I became the fastest female to Grand Slam.
2: That's pretty Um, awesome.
0: Before that, I think the... A 27-year-old did it back in, like, 2005. Mm. So, it's a long-standing record, almost 20 years.
2: I'm pretty fast at eating a Grand Slam at Denny's. That's probably the closest <laughs> I can That's
0: probably the most common thing I've heard when I talk about my Grand
1: Slam. Like, oh, no, shit, I thought Grand I was Slam being original.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, what was, because you, so pretty much you had to do a 100-mile race once a month for four months, it sounded like.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. That's about um, the first two are right at a month apart, and then it's five or six weeks. I think five weeks. So it's basically four weeks between the first two, then five weeks into Leadville, and then three weeks in between that and Wasatch. So pretty evenly spaced.
2: And not to mention, in that time span, you probably run three or four of the Nationals or the Spartan Elite Series races too, right?
0: Yeah. Um, I think I hit. three of them uh the weekend after the first one was mexico um i think two weeks after no a week before the second one was um utah and then the last one was or the national or sorry the north american championships was one week after leadville so yeah they were all within a week either before or after
2: and not to mention you run five Savage races in between this time and won the Savage race series.
0: Yeah. I, uh, (laughs) I've never, I mean, Savage has never had a series. Um, I've never done the Spartan point series and I've never done a hundred mile series, um, until this year. And somehow I just kind of worked out to do all three of them. Um, so I knew going into it, like it's going to be a pretty full summer. Um, but I kind of like, Absolutely. I don't know, I'm not really like in all my eggs in one basket kind of person. So I like having you a nice that. variety <laughs> and that kind of, that kind of did it for me. Like that's a good little variety.
2: I would say like, you kind of had your, all your eggs of endurance in one, ba- in one basket. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yep.
0: Yeah, a little bit.
2: So but I- during all this, like, did you ever finish one of these hundred milers and we like, man, I'm sore as shit. I don't know how I'm going to race the Spartan race next weekend. Did you ever feel that way?
1: Yes.
0: Um, the first 100-miler was one of my worst 100-milers ever. Um, I've run... I think this last one was my 13th 100-miler, so I've done several of them. And when you do a few of them, you kind of get to know, like, how your body deals with it, how your brain deals with it, how you deal with it before, after, all that kind of stuff. Um, but this one... Um, really destroyed me physically and kind of mentally too. Right. Um, so it was a lot of pavement and they don't really talk about that. Even if they had, it still would have like, I don't think I could have prepared for it. Um, but I say like 80% of the course was either pavement or like hard, like gravel, crushed gravel. Um, yeah, that's not like nobody's body does well on that. Um, but I just remember that one, like within the first 10 miles, my body was hurting in ways that it normally doesn't even hurt ever. Um, and I normally don't start hurting until like, like, I feel like I kind of feel like warmed up by about 30 miles and then start really hurting between like 60 to 80. Um, but this one within 10 miles, I was hurting and like knew that this was not, not going to be okay. Um, about halfway through, I think, like, miles 60-ish, uh, my Achilles got really tight. Something happened with it. Um, and after, I had like, five miles, I could barely put any weight on it. Um, but then I taped that, but then it definitely did something to the front of my ankle. Anyways, I finished that um, race. I got it sub-24. I got the buckle. I finished wow. it. I think I was, like, third female. Um, but I have never been in that much pain after a hundred, in a very long time um my ankle was all swollen up that same knee was all swollen up i had blisters on my toes um and i don't normally get blisters at all um the bottoms of my feet i think if i didn't have the calluses that i do they would have been complete blisters um hmm. so yeah I finished it like early sunday morning flew home like sunday afternoon sunday night and i just remember like dra- I, I my leg was so stiff with in the ankle and the knee I couldn't really bend it, and so I just did this, like, hobble. I was, like, dragging my leg through the airport, Mm. and I was like, this is pathetic. Like, this is my first 100-miler of the season, of this summer season, and it broke me, like. And it was one that, like, um, because I was in pain and, like, not really enjoying it, I mentally, like, I remember at like 30 miles, I was like, man, if I don't change my attitude, like I won't finish this. Like I have just such a bad attitude about this mm. or I'm not enjoying it. I am like, and that's a huge part of it is like mentally being with it. Um Anyways, yeah. So the following week was going to be Mexico and I like, you know, had my tickets booked. I was going to be there. Um So I typically say like after hundreds, like go move, like movement is medicine. Your body needs to move. It needs to be reminded. It can still move and moving like helps everything to start healing. Um, But after this one, it hurt a lot to move. Um, So I say I pretty much like spent that week like on the couch. I was like working um, and I would try to walk every day, but like it hurt to walk. And I was like, this is not great. Um, but yeah, I spent that week doing a lot of like massaging, foam rolling, scraping. Um, I did some like band work and by Thursday, um, I ran two miles on Thursday and kind of realized like, it was definitely just muscular stuff or like tendons. Um, cause by the time I like warmed up, it felt fine. And then when I finished it all stiffened up again. So I was like, mm it'll be fine. Like I can, like, it's not constant pain. Um, yeah. So I flew out to Mexico and it's funny cause people, you know, I'm always doing other stuff and whatever. And so everybody's all talking about like, you know, I never do a race fresh and Mexico was probably the most fresh and rested I've ever been only because I was forced to and like letting my body try to heal. Um, so by the time I got to Mexico, like I was you know, able to walk without pain and, run with minimal pain. Um, so I pretty much taped myself up really well. Um, and that race was kind of my best race up to that point. Um, I like traded off the lead for the first six miles, which I had never done before. And especially not in like a national series race. Um, and then ended up getting second. Um, and my leg like, felt fine the whole time, but I was definitely like it stiffened up afterwards. And when I was flying home the next day, I was like dragging my leg through the airport again. (laughs) I was like, what are we doing here? Um, but yeah, it just took, you know, uh, that was probably the worst week of like going from a hundred into that race. But I was like, so damaged. Um, all the ones following that were fantastic. And the next day, like, um, Leadville, I finished like early Sunday morning. I slept for a couple hours and then like went and hiked a 14er um, the wow. next day I was like, I did a CrossFit class. I did like a long rollerblade. Um, I did, I saw so them a nanny. So I like took my kids in backpacks. I did like this eight mile hike up to the top of a peak. Um, and then the next day I did like sprints and then I went and like hiked around Canada for a couple of days. So that was like a much more normal recovery for me. And that's what most of it was like, but there was that one time where I was like, I'm just broken and need to lay around for a little bit. Um, I think there's about, I mean, some races are going to be harder on you than others and to like respect that and allow for that. Um, definitely had to learn that this summer. Hmm.
2: So you said that you've done 13, 100 mile races.
0: Yep. 13. I I think Pretty sure it's the number I'm going with.
2: So now I that did. you've explained how badass that you are, tell everybody how long ago you started running um
0: I started running well i started i say i started racing honestly like long before I started running. I started racing in twenty seventeen uh like end of twenty seventeen but I have no athletic background, and so I would just show up to a race and like go all out and like the obstacles were fun. I'd run slash walk in between obstacles and I did okay at a couple races. I like podiumed at a race in Canada, came back and did an ultra and podiumed. Um, so I was doing decent, but I was definitely racing and not running. Um, I, which sounds really weird, but that's kind of how I got into it. Um, started trying, it took me, I like, it kind of took me a while to like become a runner just because i i still don't know that i actually enjoy running i like racing and i don't always enjoy running right um but yeah the so then 2018 built into some running um it wasn't until the end of 2019 (laughs) no it must have been the end of 2018 no i don't know Uh, must have been the end of 2018 when i actually started like running every day and starting to see like an actual build um I did my first hundred miler this summer of 2019 and then, um, started doing speed work for the first time, really, um, in early 2020 and 2020 was a great, uh, building year for me. And so I feel like 2020 was like my year of becoming a competitive runner, I guess. And then 21 and 22 has been great. So yeah, five years ago I started racing and started the journey of running
2: and now you've run thirteen hundred milers. That's amazing.
0: Yeah, Leadville was my twelve hundred miler, and it was the it was the same weekend like three years later from my first one.
2: Wow, that was a, that was a fun weekend. That's insane. So, how what made you decide to pull the trigger and say "screw it, I'm going to run a hundred miler"? What made you well, feel like you were up to the task for the first hundred miler?
0: I heard, well, I heard about them. In 2017, somebody said, like, yeah, I've run some 100 miles," And I was like, 100 miles? Like, people do that? But it was instantly this, like, well, if people are doing it, like, I kind of want to try it. So 2017 was when that first, like, seed was planted. in um, of 2017, I did a Spartan Ultra Beast and was entirely unprepared and completely died. Like, it was a terrible experience. But, you know, a week later, I was like, well... If I can run 30 miles, then if I can complete 30 miles, then maybe I can do 50. So the following spring, I did 50 miles. um, That was 2018. And then it was just a matter of like, um, I I went out to the rate. My first 100 miler um, is like a local race there in South Texas. And I went out, you can either do it like as a 100 miler or 100K, or you can do it like as a team. Right. Like a relay team, basically. So I went, I had some friends that were on the relay teams. And I went out there and like ran several laps and just enjoyed like running all day and just being out there. And that was where I was like, I want to come back and run this as a 100 miler next year. So that's what I did. Mm -hmm. Came back for a 100 miler.
2: So like, what was your strategy doing your first, you know, it's your, you've, you've done a 50 miler. You're going to do a 100 miler. Like what was your strategy going into your first 100 miler?
0: I probably had a very different first experience than most people would. Um, I ran it with my really good friend and, um, we were planning to run the entire thing together. Um, I was definitely like, we kind of assumed I would have an easier time of it. I'm like 15 years younger and had been running for almost as long as he had. So, um, but I Mm -hmm. did little to no planning going into it. Um, he had a really good friend or he had a, we had a group of people that were like crewing for us. So I kind of just showed up and was like, let's run a hundred miles. Um, and it was an interesting dynamic, like running together because we ran together and we made it through, like, it starts at noon and it's like this really, really hot race. Um, so we made it through like the day, the hot day together. We made it through the night where like people either, you either pick up the pace or people are dead from the day. Um, And then by the next morning, like early next morning, um, I was like kind of feeling good and ready to pick it up. And he was dealing with like a leg thing and was Mm. really slowing down. So, but we stuck together through the whole thing. I think we finished in like 28 or 29 hours. Um, But I wouldn't really, I didn't really have any kind of strategy or plan for that one. It was just kind of a like, this is it, 100 miles. Um, And then I did my next one like a couple months later.
2: Um, Jeez. So yeah,
0: that was that was the first one. It's just like, all right, let's do this.
2: <laughs> so now that you've got several underneath your belt, like what is your how do you pace a hundred miles?
0: Um I run very comfortably the entire day. Um I've found I do better if I start like in the middle of the pack and that forces me to run slower at the start. Otherwise, I will easily take off and run a fast, like, first five miles, Um, and which isn't terrible, but it does end up impacting you by the end, you know, by the time you hit 100. So what I found works better for me is, like, starting middle of the pack and having to, like, earn your way back up. Um, I don't know if that just works for me, like, mentally, physically, probably a little bit of both. Um, and then I found I can finish really strongly at like, once I hit like 50, 60 miles and like, I kind of do like, I do a really good job of like eating and drinking the whole day. So by the time I get to 50, 60 miles, I'm like, I kind of feel good. Let's go. Um, and then it feels like, Oh, you're on the home stretch. And so, um, I guess that's kind of like taking it slow through the first half. And then if you, I have it to give on the second half, then going for it.
2: So, What is your fueling plan when you go into 100?
0: Um, eat at every aid station and drink. I forget how big my bottles are, but I try to drink at least one of those by every aid station. And aid stations, like, it kind of varies. They're, like, every, like, 4 to 12 miles on average. Right. Um. But I, I eat everything at every station. Uh, or not everything. I eat something at every station and bring food with me. So that's kind of how I... And it's 4 to 12 miles. That's every, like, you know, it's anywhere from, like, 40 minutes, 40 to 90 minutes or whatever, 49, two hours. Um, so I'm basically just doing a steady drip of food. Um, and then I don't drink a lot of water. I do, like, an electrolyte mix. I have a really good, like, hydration Um, that's, like, replenishing, like, vitamins and electrolytes. Um, and it tastes good, so that makes it a little bit easier to drink.
2: What is, um, it, what is it called? Uh,
0: mantra is mantra. the one that I have now. And I've been super happy with them. They got me through all my Grand Slam and a couple before that actually too. Um, and it's just a really good, like clean, basic electrolyte and vitamins. Like that's what I need, you know? Um, yeah. So I do that. And then food. Now I'll bring like backup food. Um, I guess the food that I, I normally have like emergency food in my pack. Um, but I try to, the more I do, the lighter I pack because I'm like, that. you really don't need like the aid stations. And most ultras are pretty, like they will hook you oh,
2: up. Oh yeah, they're legit. Um,
0: yeah. So, but I'll normally bring a couple baby food packets. Um, I like baby food because it's just like really simple to eat, and like you can't make any excuse for not eating it. Basically, like because sometimes you get to a point where like ah, you know, I would eat, but this doesn't taste good. But i like, nah, it's really easy to eat. They taste decent. Um, so I have those, and then um, a couple like bars or um. I'll sometimes have, like, a bag of almonds, some kind of just, like, basic food that I try to keep with me. Um, And then at the aid stations, I do PB&J sandwiches, quesadillas. Um, When it gets to, like, night, any kind of ramen, chicken noodle soup, broth, anything hot they have. Um, And then I'll do, like, a couple of gummy bears every once in a while. That's kind of my other one. Yeah, that's about it.
2: So, um... I had an issue running the Killington Ultra uh, a few weeks ago and uh-huh. I I have a cast iron stomach like I can eat almost anything you know it doesn't matter to me but this yeah. was this was the first race where I I got nauseous and I don't know why you know it was just a a freak occurrence I don't know if I got dehydrated or if I was just taken in too many jails i I don't know have have you ever had a problem with that in the middle of a race
0: i have only had one problem with that and it was um a specific brand um it was a company i was like trying to work with and they had sent me they had um like a liquid calorie mix and they had some bars a bunch of different stuff and i had i actually used them for my first hundred miler I think my first, second, and third 100-milers, um, and it was fine. Um, but then I think they might have even, like, changed something in their product. But I did one last summer, and I ate one of their bars and, like, immediately, like, within 10 minutes, felt sick and threw it up. Huh. And I was like, huh, that was weird. Like, And then later on that day, I drank some of their mix. Um, I forget what even – it was probably just a, you know, hydration something. And probably within, again, five, ten minutes, I felt sick, and I threw it up. Um, So that was a very, like, one-off, and it was definitely just a specific thing. That's the only issues, that's the only stomach issues I've ever had. Um, Yeah, I don't know if I just, I think, I think I eat and drink enough and often enough. um, And maybe, I mean, like, my body's pretty well adapted to it. Um, To where, yeah, I haven't really had any issues with that, which is really nice, because... Yeah, it is. That can get to you real quickly. I can I know. Only imagine.
2: It, it freaked me out because I was like, you know, because I was, and it happened. not how it goes. Yeah, it happened like right when I come into transition. Like I had oh, real no. food and not just gels and I was trying to eat it and I was like, I feel like I'm about to throw up and like the rest of the race, like I managed to sip on a gel and get one more gel down and I had like a honey stinger waffle that I pretty much just walked with it. it in my hand and was just taking nibbles out of it. But I think I, I almost finished like five hours of the race with no fuel. And it was, Oof. it sucked. And That's right. I remember trying to squeeze the gel in my mouth and just chase it with some water real quick, thinking I could just get it down and I puked huh. it all up. It didn't work. Oh man. So I was like, screw um, it. I'm just going to finish done without it.
0: You've quite a it. few ultras now, right?
2: Yeah. Just Spartan ultras really. Yeah. Do
0: you have a favorite one?
2: Uh, a favorite one. So, man, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but Killington Ultra is... I knew you were going to say it. <laughs> it's, a, it's a love-hate relationship.
1: Yeah.
2: Like, last year, I mean, there's a video of me swearing I wasn't going to do that race again. Oh, yeah. And it was a great race. I had a great race. I mean, I, I run age group, and I placed first in my age group. And nice. I was just... I was an emotional wreck at the end of that race last year. And this year I I put in a good training block and I said, and my main goal to finish this race and be happy about it. And when I finished the race, even though I, you know, was puking the whole second lap and felt like shit, I finished that race thinking I could do this again next year and be okay with it. So the goal, the goal was accomplished, but I still hate that my stomach got wrecked for the second half because yeah. I was. My first half was really good, but to, I guess I like that ultra the most because it's it's the scariest one for me out of all the ones that I've done. Every yeah. every year I go there, it's it seems like it gets harder every year, and when you go there, I always go there thinking. This may be the time I do not finish. So
0: Ooh, that's that's a it's, that's a good that like uh wait like that unsureness is I think it's kind of addicting. Like you yeah. know what I was actually just reading. They say um this book I'm reading, they say gamblers are actually more excited about the thought of losing because then they'll play more than they are excited about winning. Because if they lose then they'll play again and they'll play again. But if they win then, you know, oh, they feel like they kind of, like, made it. So maybe that that loss, or that chance of losing is more of a dopamine rush than, like, the thought of winning.
2: Right. That makes sense. So, but the try-on, you you ran the race. They called it Asheville, but it was at that equestrian center. I'm sure you remember that one.
0: I have never run that one, no.
2: You didn't run that one? It was in the series last year. Yeah, and I didn't do much. I only did one race last year, one uh, national series. Oh, did you? Okay. Yeah. So, anyway, because the Asheville venue like closed out, changed hands, so they moved it to this place called Tryon, which is,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and you'd you'd love it. It was it's an it's an international equestrian center, like
1: I.
0: Uh, a girl that I knew through horses, they had a show out there not too long
2: ago. Yeah, they have shows there all the time and it's those big fancy shows where they're jumping the horses over those poles yeah. or whatever, you know. That's so, get uh, out
1: east.
2: It's an it's an it's an it's a pretty awesome venue. It's it's not I wanna say like when we did the Ultra there last year, we might have got like thirty five hundred or forty five hundred feet, so it's a lot of nice rolling hills, but for a flattish ultra, that would probably be, like, my favorite, too.
1: Yeah.
2: But it's like a for a mountain ultra, out of the one. I mean, the only mountain ultras I've done is New Jersey and Killington. And Killington is, hands down, just a, a better venue for me. I need to get out west and do some, because there's some really nice ultras out there from what I've seen in pictures. Yeah. Yeah. The only one I've done is
0: Dallas. and I've done it three times now.
2: I've done The Beast there, and that, uh, but I did it at that old venue where it was...
1: Uh, Glen Rose?
2: Yes, or was that it? Was that the place where uh, uh, Chris Kyle was uh, shot yes. at? Yep. Yep, it was that one. But I think we did that in 2015, so that was the first well, year I started racing. that was before racing. my time. Yeah, well, that was my first year, and it was one of those things okay. where... Me and my buddy got on a plane, flew out there, did the race, got back on the plane, and flew back.
1: <laughs> back.
2: Nice. Yeah, it was an exciting day for sure.
0: What's your least favorite Ultra
2: that you've done? Um probably Fayetteville, just because it's it's just really flat and it's definitely a runner's course. Like this last year they found more a lot more technical running. But it's just, it's a lot of just flat field running and it's the, the, the ones that's got inclined just are just more fun to me.
1: Yeah.
0: No, I, I found that pretty quickly with hundred milers even like right. the ones with more elevation, like they're more challenging, but they're just more enjoyable to run a long distance on. Right. And so it, it,
2: I feel it, that. It, it breaks up that stagnant running. So you're not doing the same constant motion the whole time.
0: Yeah. Something I've been found was it, uh, it, it gives you like clear indicator, like clear, um, oh yeah. Indicators when you should run and when you should walk because right. like when you should drop to hiking, um, when it's flat, it's like, well, I can still run and I can still run, but like your running is getting questionable. <clears throat> but when you have to like stop and hike up a hill and then you get to run down it, like it makes those decisions a lot easier to make.
2: So do you have a, um, like, um, I guess like a sign or a strategy to when to break running and start power hiking. H- how do you judge that?
0: Um, whenever I feel like
2: it. Whenever you feel like it. Kind of just... <laughs>
0: yeah, I wouldn't say there's really a set thing. I try to do like a, um, I would say like run the hills, run the flats, hike the ups. Right. But, I know for a fact near the end of a race, like "Mm, that kind of looks like an up, like we're, you know, we're going to hike this for a bit. Right. Um, so yeah, that's when it kind of turns into like, I'm tired of running. I just feel like hiking. Mm. Um, so it's very much just kind of whatever feels good. And sometimes if there's a, you know, downhill 90 something miles into the race, like I am booking it down that, but, um, that's me. I always
2: take advantage of gravity when I can.
0: Oh, every time, every time. Um, yeah, my kind of loose loose rules are like run the flats and the downhills, walk the ups.
2: Right. So, I heard on one interview that you said that you count your steps when you're running these longer races. Yeah. So, when you say you count your steps, are you like counting to 10 and starting over? Or are you like counting as high as you can count?
0: I count to 100 and then I start
2: over. You count to 100 and you start over? So.
0: Yeah. It started with, I don't know if I talked about it on there. Like when I was first starting to run and trying to figure out breathing, um, I had heard like, Oh, like breathe, like rhythmic breathing, like controlling your breathing. And so I do kind of like with my steps, I would like take two breaths in and then two breaths out. Um, and so I kind of started counting then, um, and then I, I changed it. I heard you're supposed to do like an odd number because every time you breathe out, that's like relaxing one side of your body. So if you're always breathing out on the same side, um, you're kind of like in balancing yourself. So now I do like a count of five and if I'm running fast, I'm counting to five the whole time. Like I, to me it's, um, I don't know if it's, I think it's just kind of a way of like tuning out any other thoughts and just being really in touch with like the running itself because um, i definitely find myself doing that like during sprint workouts or anytime i'm trying to run fast like
1: so I will, like go when, back to
0: that counting and then when i'm on doing something long where i'm just like kind of bored but i don't know like i feel like my mind <laughs> just like needs something to do right so I'm just start counting
2: so you probably make a great accountant by now So Uh, you think (laughs) when you're when you say when you're doing your fast stuff and you count to five, are you like count to five, breathe out and then count to five, breathe in? Is that what you're saying?
0: No, I do like a like a the five count is like a full breath cycle. So I do like two quick breaths in and then like for three counts, it's a long breath out. So I'm doing like a one, two breath in and then a one, two, three breath out, like with my steps. Okay. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think I'm just like a, I don't know. I have a hard time sitting still, which I know like running is not sitting still, but I feel like even that, like my brain needs something to like latch onto and do.
2: Otherwise you're just running all day and night.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, and it just, it just gives some kind of like, I mean, I found I'll do it even, um, like, you know, during the Deca and High Rock stuff, like I definitely I count my lunges every I count my lunges every time um, on the bike. Like I'll count my pedals on the skier. I'll count my poles. Like mm. I just find when I'm like zoning in and just working, I just like drop into like a rhythm and I start like counting. I think it also may have something to do. Like I play piano a lot as a child. And so learning like the different tempos and rhythms at that, like you count the whole time to keep like
2: a rhythm. So I think that
0: kind of bled into this. Hmm. I think that
2: might be it. And so you said about, you know, doing decafit fit and, and high rocks. Um, so you've, you've done all these different kind of race formats. If you could choose any of them to be, I mean, and you're pretty damn good at all of them anyway, but if you could pick any of them to just be the best of the best in, which would it be?
0: Um, I think the reason I do all of them is because I have a hard time picking just one. (laughs) Um, but I would say high rocks. I really like like the energy and the like speed and power that's involved in it. So high rocks, I really enjoy and I like have really enjoyed getting better in it, but I, it would be hard to pick between that 100 milers Like I wish I could just go run a 100 miles fast. Right. And I'm still working on that. Like I it take me a long time.
2: What's your but, fastest 100-miler? Huh? What's your fastest 100-miler?
0: Um, I believe it was Vermont and Vermont was 21:50 something.
2: That's pretty fast.
0: Yeah, it was, (laughs) Vermont was a huge race for me, because it was, uh, so this is mid-July, and it was a couple weeks after doing that Old Dominion one, which absolutely destroyed my body, Um, and Vermont was just a fantastic race, like, I just felt good, felt strong, felt fast, and just enjoyed, like, pretty much the entire thing, Um, and that was huge to have after, Uh, old dominion so yeah that was my fastest time and like it was a really solid race for me
2: was there a lot of elevation to that race
0: um i want to say somewhere between 12 and fifteen thousand. right um not a ton and it was a lot of just like rolling it was it was fun Hmm. so much fun
2: and so you're going to be doing world's toughest motor coming up soon too right
0: i am that's my last ultra of the year
2: So, before we talk about that, how many races do you have between now and World's Toughest Mudder?
0: Um, Do horse endurance rides count? Uh, Sure. Are we counting race weekends or races, period?
2: Just races, period. Running races. How many running races do you have between now and November the, what is it, 15th or 14th? 14th, 13th,
0: 14th, yeah. Um, I have two, three, six
2: six so that's pretty much one every weekend almost
0: (laughs) yeah um i have i'm doing a local race this weekend i think i have one weekend off and then i have like an endurance ride i have hunters competition i'm doing the trifecta world championships so that's three races there
2: oh sweet that'll be fun roll
0: right into wtm
2: yeah i want to do that uh greece uh trifecta weekend one year maybe next year yeah i'm super excited that should be cool Uh,
0: Should be really cool.
2: Yeah. So, what you've never done, world's toughest motor. What is your strategy going in, and what are your expectations?
0: Um, Strategy going in is to treat it like an ultra. Um, So, just pace myself, run my own race, and. I feel like with an ultra, like you can't get, you you have to run the mile that you're in, but you have to run it in the framework of 20 plus hours. So I'm pretty good at that of, you know, running a good mile every mile, but also knowing that like, I'm doing this for 20 plus hours to 24 hours. Um, and expectations. I don't know if it's expectations. I would like to hit a hundred miles. I don't know if that's, like possible on that course um but that's definitely the ultimate
2: goal
0: i guess
2: i would say this one's going to be one of the flatter courses if it's going to be in southern alabama i've there's rumor it's going to be a wet course so
0: well i would prefer less wet but i'll take the flat and yeah 100 miles is the goal
2: cool i will be there so i will see you there
0: nice
2: Okay, Chris, so everybody I bring onto the show, I always ask them the same questions, and I'm about to ask you those questions. So, to this day, out of every race that you've done, and it can be any race, anything, it doesn't matter, what has been your most favorite race, and why?
0: Oh. My answer to that is typically the most recent one I did, and that would pretty much hold true for this um I always say that with 100 milers like the most recent 100 miler I did is always my new favorite um even Uh with this like my most recent race was like the 15k at OCRWC and that race was phenomenal like I felt so good I ran so good um so I feel like it's kind of like the why is just kind of whatever's precious on my mind Um, But I would have to say a really, really big highlight was the High Rocks World Champs. Right. Um, Just because, I don't know, I went into it with little to no expectations. And crushed it. Yeah. I knew I was better. I knew I was faster than I'd been before. But um, I don't know. I I do 100 milers, I think, a lot because of the highs and lows that you experience. Um, And I haven't really been able to find that in shorter races as much. But this one was a pretty cool, like, I did not start out doing well. Mm-hmm. But to realize, like, halfway through the wall balls that I was actually going to win it was, like, it's a pretty cool feeling.
1: I bet it was.
0: Yeah. So that, yeah, that might be, that might be one of the, one of the or that's definitely one of the top ones. Okay. Um, yeah.
2: So the next question is the opposite of that. What's the race that you... Uh, Hated the most, which is the worst, and why that's right. Oh, I think I lost you. Um, yeah, so the worst race and why,
0: okay, the worst race and why. Um, I uh, I think I'm a very like negative negativity avoiding person. So when I try to like just thinking of like what is the worst race I can't really think of one.
1: You got um, to. Because <laughs>
0: well, it's it's one of those like I think I positively re, re- positively reframe things almost to a fault. Like I did a hundred miler in Wyoming uh, last year, and that was pro- definitely one of the most challenging and tough races that I've ever done. But, like, by the time I finished it, it was definitely my new favorite race because it was amazing and, like, the views were incredible. And, like, so it's not kind of like I might have a sucky race, but by the time I'm done, like, there's always a highlight for the day or the race. Um, Yeah, I guess most of those ones that would be, like, my worst ones would be ultras. But ultras are also my favorites. So I'd say one of – another one of the worst ones is the very first ultra that i did um just because the very first spartan ultra i was entirely unprepared for it and i ran the first lap really strong and then as soon as i started the second lap my hip flexors like locked up and every single step hurt for the entire second half Uh. and i literally had to like paste a fake smile on my face (laughs) so that i would not cry and it just hurt um so that was one of the that was I guess my first worst experience and that kind of sticks with me. Um that one I finished and I actually got like third female and was like that was cool. Um but then I volunteered for a shift after. Oh cool. And by the time I walked to my car that night, I went to get in the car and I could not lift my like I sat down on the seat and I had to lift one leg at a time into the car because <laughs> my legs were just shot, like Um, yeah, that was my first worst. So I guess that one has a special
2: place in my heart. Yeah. When I, my first ultra was at New Jersey and it was same thing for me. The whole first lap was pretty good. And then the second Uh lap, like I got IT band syndrome in both knees and it was the whole second lap and it sucked, Oh but I finished it and that's all that matters.
0: Yeah. Yep. That's all that matters at the end. And that's how, I think that's kind of like the magic of ultras is like you hit a lot of really low, terrible points. And then by the time it's finished, like it's all so worth it.
2: That's right.
0: Magic of ultras.
2: Okay. So last question, what is your race routine? Like, do you have a routine that you go through the Friday before the race and the Saturday morning before the race. What's your secrets to crushing all these races, Chris?
0: Um, I normally travel to whichever race on Friday. Um, my typical tradition is Olive Garden Fettuccine Alfredo.
2: Hell yeah. The night
0: before. Um, and then the morning of is typically... I try to drink water like two hours before drink plenty of water and then I try to eat a banana and a bagel. And then I I don't really do a lot of warming up just because I don't think I really understand the science of it. So, um, unless I'm like actually cold and need to warm right. up, um, yeah, pretty much roll up and move around a little bit and then, you know, 15 minutes out, take a last sip of water and I'm ready to go. Um, anything under three hours or something, I don't take any food or water with me Actually on the beast I've started taking like, I'll stick a, I don't, I don't really like gels, but the spring energy ones are good. So I'll take one of those and I try to remember to take it like halfway through and sometimes I do and sometimes I don't, but yeah. Yep. Take my last sip of water about 15 minutes before and then I'm ready to go.
2: Well, cool. Um, (laughs) Oh, one more question. Why do you why do you go by Chris instead of Christina? And why do you add a K to it?
0: Because my first name is Christiana.
2: Oh, it's and Christiana. That's a weird name
0: okay. that nobody's heard of. And so everybody calls me Christina and that's not my name. Uh-huh. And so I'm like <laughs> So that's what I was like, let's do Chris. Um so I initially did the C H R I S, but then like in emails and stuff, everybody thought I was a guy. And then I was like, you know what? People make their own nicknames. Like, nicknames don't have to make sense, and I like how K looks, so I started going by K, and that's what stuck.
2: Hmm. That's funny. My brother's name is Christopher, but it was spelled, yeah. it's spelled with a K, and it's and he goes by Chris, and it's spelled the same way, K-R-I-S. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: That's what Christopher Mendoza tries to give me a hard time. He's like, you're a poser. You're not a real Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: was
0: a Chris long before you were Chris. I tell him I'm the original Chris because I run more miles than him.
2: Oh, like, I'm the, I'm the snap. There you go. That's what's up. Yeah. So, is there anything that you want to add to this? Like, do you have any sponsors or tell people where they can find you?
0: Um, you can find me on Instagram. I have a hard time working with sponsors because I'm really not an influencer and most sponsors right. nowadays want an influencer. Well, um, I but I do have that. a couple companies that I kind of work with. Um, Grit Fitness, uh Mantra, my hydration brand, and then I have Hyperwear. I use their sandbags and weight vests a lot in my training, um, and then Ultra Shoes has been a great shoe for all my hundred milers. Um, I think that's about it.
2: <clears throat> what shoe do you race in? The Olympus or
0: uh, the Lone Peaks?
2: The Lone Peaks, really?
1: Yeah.
0: Yep, that's the shoe that I wore for my first one, and I've been wearing them ever since. Like I wore them for my very first. Uh, this is like my first pair of actual running shoes for that Spartan ultra and yeah, I tried to go cause they're kind of like mid cushion mm-hmm. and I tried to, there's a, one, I think one race last year as my foot was kind of having some issues and I thought maybe it's time to go up and cushion and nope, it's nothing but the lone peak for me.
2: Yeah, See, I like the lone peaks and I, I generally will. I mean, I if I'm just doing trail running, like for training, I, I'll wear them. But if, if my feet get wet in lone peaks, I'll Mm -hmm. start to get blisters underneath, like, you know, the ball of my foot. I don't know why. Interesting. I I never have that problem with the King MTs. I love the King MTs, and I hate that they discontinued that shoe.
0: Yeah. I never got a chance to do the King MTs, so I have the Lone Peaks. Um, I have a a lot of their shoes. Um, But I I pretty much wear the Lone Peaks for a lot of trail running, definitely longer trail running. And then I've worn the Escalante for a lot of DECA events. Mm. And then I've worn the Rivera for High Rocks. And I really like that
2: for High Rocks. Yeah, my street running shoes, the Escalantes, that's what I go to for that. Yes.
0: So I like the Escalante racers, not the Escalantes. Oh, okay. Um, and I don't know how they're such different shoes. but
2: They're lighter. I huge. think they're supposed to be like broken down and more lighter, I believe. I don't think they Maybe. have quite as much cushion either.
0: Yeah. Something about them, I love that shoe, and the Escalante, The Escalante, like the regular one, um, actually gave me, like, shin issues, which I've never had before. Huh. Uh, yeah, that shoe just did not work for me.
2: Yeah. Well, cool, Chris. Hey, I appreciate you coming on and talking to us.
0: Absolutely. Thanks for having me on.
2: Yeah. Uh, and good luck to you in all the races you have coming up, too, and hopefully you will get 100 miles at World stuff Mudder.
0: Yeah, we will see you there.
2: Yes, we will. See you there. Have a good evening.
0: All right. You
2: too. Hope you enjoyed the interview. I want to thank Chris again for taking time to talk to us. And uh, I'll be in Nashville next weekend. So if you see me out there, come up to me and say what's up. Follow us on Instagram Facebook. And we'll see you at the next race. Peace.